You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Now today, I have the New York Times best-selling author, award-winning journalist, and co-founder and director of the research for the Flow Genome Project, Stephen Kotler. Stephen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Thanks for having me. No problems. No problems at all. Now, Stephen, I've been a fan of yours for a little while. I actually had the chance to read through The Rise of Superman and I absolutely loved it and the book is heavily based around tapping into your flow and I love your story of you know how you have Lyme disease and you are able to lift it from a 10% uh, level of uh, energy and functionality to 80% if you could fill us in a little bit on that and like how it all uh, you know change the game for you by tapping into your flow that would be awesome and then we can carry on from there. Yeah, I mean, it's a good place to start. So let, let's start with some definitions for a sec. So when we talk about flow, we're talking about an optimal state of consciousness, a state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best, right? And more specifically, flow refers to those moments of total absorption and rapt attention, right, where we get so sucked in by the task at hand, so focused on what we're doing that everything else kind of disappears and action awareness start to merge your sense of self, your sense of self-consciousness, they vanish completely. Time warps, it will slow down occasionally, and you'll get that freeze frame effect. Maybe to anybody who's been in a car crash, more frequently it speeds up, right? Five hours will pass by in five minutes, and, and we've all had this experience. It's what happens when you sit down to write a quickie email, and you only you look up a couple hours later and go, oh my God, I've written an essay, right? And throughout this whole experience, all aspects of performance, mental and physical, go through the roof. And a bunch of other things happen in flow, which is, as you started with, I found that I, I, I had been sick with Lyme disease for three years, had been, had spent the entire time in bed, and you, with through flow, managed to move myself from kind of like 10% functionality, literally like awake and functionally able to like do anything but not moan on the couch um, for like 40 minutes a day, kind of back up to 80%. So I got most of my life back in a very short window, like six months after the doctors pulled me off medicines, whatever. And I, I, you know, I set out to figure out what the heck was going on with me. And I, you know, quickly discovered that the kind of the neurochemistry that shows up in flow massively amplifies the immune system and it sort of resets the nervous system, which was the key with Lyme disease. Lyme is an autoimmune condition, it's a nervous system gone haywire. And by resetting the nervous system and boosting the immune system, I was actually giving myself both the space to heal and the ability to heal. And it's not just me. Herb Benson at Harvard has argued that a lot of so-called cases of spontaneous healing is actually flow. And it's this, this kind of neurochemical process that underpins it. But in doing this research, right, I discovered that the state that had kind of sent me from really subpar back to normal was helping normal people go all the way up to Superman. And that's what really caught my attention. Wow, that is excellent. I love it. I love it. And you know how you said that uh, in the state of flow, sometimes you do experience that slow motion, right? Especially like car crashes or epic situations that you're in. What is that? Why do we experience yeah, that, like a slow motion? So here, this is this is cool. Um, and I actually got to take part in uh, 
one of the experiments that decoded this, I was working with a guy named David Eagleman, he's a neuroscientist Baylor, and he hoisted me up 150 feet into the air and dropped me into a circus net. And I thought, I, you know, I had a perceptual chronometer on my wrist and we were trying to figure out why does time pass so strangely in flow and, and, we, and we, you know, David helped and a lot of other people have helped, but what we now know is sort of, our old ideas about ultimate performance, uh, what most people call the 10% brain myth, the idea we're only using a small chunk of our brain, so ultimate performance, a.k.a. flow, must be the full brain on overdrive. Mm. Turns out we actually had it backwards. It's not that parts of the brain are becoming hyperactive, though a few are. Most of them are turning off, they're deactivating, and, and the technical term is called transient, meaning temporary, hypofrontality, hypo, H-Y-P-O, the opposite of hyper. It means to slow down, to shut down, to deactivate. Frontality is your prefrontal cortex, right? It's the part of you you most frequently associate with you, your complex decision-making, higher cognitive functions, executive functions, sense of will, sense of morality, on and on and on. This portion of the brain in flow is actually turning off, right? We're shutting it down. And why does time pass so strangely in flow? Turns out time's calculated all over the prefrontal cortex. That's what David Eagleman figured out. And as parts of it start to shut down, we can no longer separate past from present from future. We can't perform the time calculation. And we're plunged into what researchers call the deep now, right? And it's, if you go one step further under the hood, it's actually an efficiency exchange. Flow is a really expensive state to produce for the brain. It takes a lot of energy. The brain is pretty inefficient. Your brain at rest, just sitting on your butt, thinking, uses 25% of your energy. In a state like flow, right, conscious processing uses tons of it. So in flow, we trade conscious processing, which is very slow, very energy efficient, inefficient, and very limited in its RAM, what it can hold on to, right? Working memory taps out around nine items at the upper end. Most studies show that we can only think about four things at once, and then we overload the brain. We can't do it anymore. So we trade this for subconscious processing, which is so much faster, like 2,000 to 5,000 times faster. So we get to watch our subconscious mind process at this incredible speed, which is why that freeze frame effect occurs, right? It's because everything, normal reality is so much slower. Normal thought, conscious thought moves at 150 miles an hour. So you're jacking that up massively and getting to watch it happen, right? Very energy efficient and unlimited RAM, right? You can, instead of only being able to link very kind of, tightly familiar ideas together, you, you have the whole database to work with suddenly. Yeah, and it makes a whole lot of sense to say that your brain is basically like a supercomputer, isn't it? When you explain it like that, wow. Well, your brain is a, I mean, your brain is a supercomputer, right? I mean, there are, you know, the, there are questions about that analogy, right? Because flow is, it's not a, it's not like a normal analog supercomputer works, you know, in parallel, so it's more like a quantum computer. Um, yeah which, you know, they're just starting to build now and, and nobody's 100% certain, you know, if we're ever going to be able to build one, but your brain is one. Um, and that's what's really insane. Yeah, excellent, excellent statement. So what would you say is the uh, most interesting scientific breakthroughs that you've discovered during your research on flow? Well, they're, they're kind of all over the place, right? I mean, some of the, some of the so, so there's two sides of it, right? There's, a, there's what flow makes possible, side of it and then there's the kind of how do we get more flow in our lives side of it and, and the what more what flow makes possible like let's just speak to your listeners directly for a second um and and you gotta understand the flow is a massive amplification in business performance and entrepreneurial performance for example I'll give you a couple of different stats mckinsey did a 10-year study and they found top executives in flow are 500 percent more productive than out of flow Wow. Um, that's a, that means you could go to work on Monday, spend Monday in a flow state, 
and take Tuesday through Friday off and get more done in your steady state peers. This is also why other studies have found that we, you know, your, your, your podcast is for entrepreneurs. We know that one out of t- 10 startups succeed. The, they're terrible odds, right? Mm-hmm. What we also know is the one startup that succeeds is the one that can generate the most flow. In fact, in a recent Forbes article, um, uh, Greylock Partner VC, um, James Slavitt called Flow State Percentage, which is the amount of time employees spend in flow, the most important metric for building great innovation teams. And a startup is nothing but a great innovation team, right? So um, very, very, you know, at a, at a business level, make sure you can say that in sports, flow accounts for most gold medals and world championships and impossible feats and whatnot in significant progress in the arts, major breakthroughs in science and technology, business, huge, huge leg up. And, and the thing you have to know also, so my organization, the Flow Genome Project, one of, what we do, one of the things we do besides research is we train up organizations in flow. And this you know, goes all the way from kind of U.S. Special Forces through kind of major technology companies. One of the things we see in flow is a massive jump in creativity, 500 to 700% um, in, in line with that 500% boost in uh, productivity. And you know, this massive jump in creativity and innovation tech companies are dying for. And we see incredibly heightened decision-making as well. So we train up a lot of financial companies. Who Anybody who deals with the market, deals with situations with hot, high-consequence, high-speed decision-making flow you know, is absolutely key here. So across the boards, you know, we're training up lots of different people. And what we've learned is state is entirely trainable, right? Anybody can learn. In fact, we have an open-to-the-public course called Flow Fundamentals, right? Anybody can pay. It's online. Um, it's six weeks hour and a half a week with some, with some homework. On average, on the other side of this course, 500 people have taken this course. We've had it around for about a year and a half. 500 people or so have taken it. The average person is reporting a five-fold increase in flow, a five-fold increase in creativity, and a three-fold increase in self-confidence. So it's entirely trainable. The second point is, for this reason, a lot of companies are doing it, right? We see flow at the heart of, kind of a lot of corporate philosophies, Toyota, Patagonia, Ericsson, Green Cargo, um, Microsoft, and companies like Facebook, Google, and you know, and whatnot, Zappos are building kind of their companies around flow, trying to generate more flow because they want that 500% boost in performance. But you got to think about this: if you're a business person, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an established organization, it doesn't really matter. Your competition has figured out a way to increase their productivity by 500%. Right? This is not self-help. 10% better. 15% better. This is a step function's worth of change. Um, and it is the only way, really, to perform at high speeds. And business, you know, as you know, is moving so incredibly fast, right? Babson School of Business did a recent study. They found that the lifespan of uh, that 40% of the Fortune 500 company list is going to be gone in 10 years, right? Oh. Corporate lifespans are tiny. CEO tenure is down to 5.9 years, even like on the shareholder side. Like you go back to the 1960s, average share was held for eight years. Today, right, it's 18 months. If you're a startup, that means you've got 18 months to get to profitable or people are jumping ship. You have to perform at speed and flow is the single best way we know to do that. Wow. Look, it sounds like flow is pretty much the answer to success. That's, that's well, it's, I mean, you know, there's a lot of other things going on Right, but flow. I mean, there's, you know, if you look at what we need for success, well, you need accelerated learning. Flow does that. If you you need amplified creativity, you need jacked up motivation. All those things show up in flow. Heightened decision making. This is optimal human performance. Right, it's literally the state of consciousness. Our brain 
you know, evolution built it for us to be our best. So it is, this is the way we just are our best in all walks of life. It doesn't really matter what domain it is. And, and that's the cooler part, by the way. We know flow is ubiquitous. It shows up anywhere in any one provided certain initial conditions are bad. Mm. There you go. What other areas of human performance do you find interesting? Well, so... So I have a book that came out yesterday called Tomorrowland, and you know one of the things it's looking at is climate. It's 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 a book about right the transformation of science fiction into science fact, which has been going on. It's a that was my beat as a journalist for a very long time when I was starting out for 20 years. I covered kind of those moments in time when science fiction became science fact, which was really cool, right? And I got to be in the room a lot when history happened the first time. I, private spaceship took off, the first artificial vision implant that was turned on. I got to play with the first genetically engineered organisms ever kind of created, on and on and on. And, you know, one of the things I look at in, in there is biotechnology and what's going on in biotechnology. Biotechnology right now is accelerating at four times the speed of Moore's law, which is to say it is doubling in power every four months, right? So, to put this in context of human performance, let's just look at bionics, right? When I, the, the, the story I look at in Tomorrowland is about the world's first bionic soldier, right? Has a bionic ankle. He can, like, you know, move like a running back on it. I watched him do it. And um, soldiers are returning to combat in Iraq and Afghanistan, which is amazing. But the really amazing part is 50% of the human body right now is replaceable by bionics, Right? We've got mind-brain interfaces that allow paraplegic and quadriplegics to control their bionic limbs. Right? Now, what does this have to do with human performance and the question you asked? Well, what we've seen so far is sort of bionics for replacement parts, right? But what is coming next, and what literally, like 2016, they're hitting the market, strap-on bionics, exoskeletons. So right now, the worst part about growing older, we know this, study after study shows, is loss of mobility. You can't do the things you want to do. Yes. You lose physical function, mental function declines, and you know the whole thing starts to go down the toilet. Exoskeleton bionics, right? Strap-on bionics, so your knee starts to go. You can now put a strap-on brace on that doesn't just protect the knee, doesn't help it function, it actually puts energy back into the system, so it induces vitality. What's crazy here and why, you know, I sort of answer your question this way is for all of human evolution, right, growing older has meant loss of mobility, lack of function, all this stuff. It never, we've, we've differed how we've treated our old. Sometimes they're wise. Sometimes we shuttle them off to, you know, institutions because we can't deal with them. But it has always meant you lose control of your limbs. That is going away, right? The downstream consequences of that are going to be significant. It's not just we're getting new bodies, right? We're interacting with evolution at a really deep level here, and it's going to start changing our minds as well. And what's interesting, and where why I think this has anything to do with a business podcast, is what's interesting is right now, we think of business competition as people between the ages of, say, 30 and 50, right? It takes about 10 years to get going in whatever you're doing, and then you're going to be really good at it from 30 to like say 55 or so and then you're going to start slowing down statistically and, and whatever right well the largest group of people in history are becoming baby boomers and the thing that leads that slow down the most right is take being taken off the map 
So suddenly I think there's going to be not just more business competition because we're going global, right, but more business competition because suddenly the elderly are going to be back in business at a level we've never seen before. And that's really interesting and possibly a little frightening. Wow. Yeah, levels of playing field, right? It totally does. And you've got to also remember that you know these, the same group of people is going to get access to flow. And one of the things we know about flow, um, and I can talk about why in a second if you'd like, but yeah, emotional yes. control, right? Having a grip on yourself, being able to hold your mud in a sense is really fundamental to flow. If you want to maximize flow in your life, you actually, and then I can talk about why, but you need some level of emotional control and fortitude and we get better at that as we get older. So one of the main secrets to flow hacking is something that the elderly are actually better at than almost anybody else. And that's where this stuff starts to get inter really interesting. Like one of the things I found in almost all of my books where I look at accelerating technology or kind of accelerating human performance is it's the intersection of disciplines. It's the places we're not looking because it's where like old age and flow science comes together and who's looking there, right? Um, but when you, and bionic, but when you start to put these things together, you get the, mo the biggest impacts. Um, it's also where, by the way, the best businesses can be built. Um, because nobody's looking there. Yeah. Stephen, look, you, you've shared so much information already, and I've got to be honest with you, I've interviewed a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs and uh, you know game changers, and honestly, this interview is going really well. I'm really happy that we're, we're on the line with each other, so thank you. What are your thoughts on like emotional intelligence over IQ? Like, do you think that emotional intelligence is a lot more important nowadays? Yes, for sure. Um, and, um, but it's all, so it's all really related is the other thing. Yes, emotional intelligence is really important, but IQ is really, you know, important as well. And, you know, what do we mean by IQ? A lot of times, it's interesting, right? They, they find that the parts that matter most are your kind of decision-making abilities, and those are tied into emotional intelligence. It's all sort of wrapped together. I'm wary of, anytime you put something in one of those categories, it makes me nervous, right? I, and the brain is a complex system, and you need all of it, right, kind of souped up at once. That's really sort of what flow does, right? It amplifies everything. For example, there are five neurochemicals that show up in flow. There are performance-enhancing neurochemicals. There are feel-good drugs. But another thing that they do is they impact social bonding. So what we find is people with prolonged exposure to flow doesn't always happen, but as a general rule, it moves them up the adult development scale. I don't know if you know this work. This is Robert Keegan's work at Harvard. Okay. And they be become more empathetic, more able to see things from multiple perspectives, right? You have greater emotional intelligence. And why this is so key in business is the speed of business is going crazy. The rate of innovation is accelerating exponentially, right? In abundance and bold, I look at 10 different technologies that are all world-changing technologies that are all accelerating on exponential growth curves. Literally, like they're like biotech. They're doubling in power on a fixed rate, right, and coming down in price. All these things are moving really, really, really quickly, and I lost the question somewhere in here. Where did we start? <laughs> I, totally, I, I totally blew it. I went into abundance, and I went, what did he ask me? <laughs> Emotional intelligence. Oh, yeah, okay. My point, my point with all that stuff is... You have to be able to see from multiple perspectives, right? If you're going to compete in today's world with this massively accelerating technology, you've got to think at scale. Performance speed and think at scale. You've got to be able to see things from multiple sides, right? And 
it's really emotional intelligence gives that to you. So you, you, you're going to need the intelligence at a certain level to kind of understand the technologies that are accelerating, right? But you're going to need the emotional intelligence to be able to take advantage of them. And you're going to need the emotional intelligence and the, the intellectual intelligence combined to access the flow you're going to need to perform at really high levels. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. Great answer. Thank you, Stephen. So how do we tap into flow on command because you know like i've been in a situation i'll just share real quick with you my experience with flow uh i was uh watching rajon rondo who's an nba basketball player playing for the boston celtics i was watching some highlight clips of him just before a basketball game this is a couple years ago anyway i went on the court and it was incredible it was like as if i was kind of out of my own body and i was scoring i think i scored like something like 32 36 points and I was pulling off moves I had never pulled before and every shot was going in. So when you talk about flow, how you're standing up on that surfboard that day, mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean, right? Yeah, I actually, I, it, this is in uh, my book, West of Jesus. I had your exact experience surfing. Yep. I got myself, it was a closeout wave and I was in trouble. And I dropped right into flow and like linked nine or 10 maneuvers together in a row. I had never done any of them before. And I thought the whole thing, all the time I was actually out, I was outside my body. I was watching the whole thing take place in that freeze frame effect. And the whole thing was truly bizarre. We understand, by the way, all the things we're talking about, I can tell you why it happens um, neurobiologically now, which is really amazing. But we can also tell you how to get more of that. And there's a lot of different things to know. So I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to talk about, which is there are 17 flow triggers. These are preconditions that lead to more flow. Um, Anybody can apply any of these in almost any situation, and uh, they will drive attention into the now, and they will help you trip into flow much more quickly. And um, the reason I'm not going to talk about it is if you go to my website, stephencotler.com, S-T-E-V-E-N-K-O-T-L-E-R, you can, uh, you can get a free download of a PDF called Flow and Performance that outlines all of these triggers and how to apply them in your personal life and in your business life. So that's available to your listeners, and I'm not going to stop there. Instead, I'm going to talk about the single, you know, in 20 years of teaching this material to people, the single most important thing I can tell you is that flow is not a binary. We used to think it was a binary condition. You're either in the zone or you're out of the zone, right? In flow or out of flow, like it works like a light switch. Turns out that's not true at all. Turns out flow is a four-stage cycle, right? And if this is the map of the flow state, you have to move through all four stages to get into flow. And you have to restart the cycle to get back in flow. So there is no such thing as living in a permanent flow state, right? The luminous pill, the, the NZ48 that allows you to live in flow whenever you want doesn't exist. <laughs> and, you know, there are specific biological reasons for that. But the the more important thing is for your listeners, and we talked about emotional intelligence a lot and emotional control, and this is why it's so important in flow hacking, right? The first stage and the last stage of the flow cycle are really unpleasant. They're the anti-flow, right? Flow is where we feel our best and we perform our best. The first stage and the last stage is the exact opposite. The first stage of the flow cycle is called struggle. It's a loading phase. You are learning, right? So when the subconscious takes over, it means you've already filled the database up with everything it needs. All the ingredients in the recipe are already in the system, right? All that's left is for the brain to make stew or flow in this case. Um, but you have to you still have to acquire all that knowledge, right? So struggle is a learning acquisition phase. It's skill acquisition. You can go on for days, for weeks, for months. Um, it takes a long time, right? This is 
you know, as a writer, I'm at the front end of a book. I'm in struggle. I'm diagramming my chapters. I got maps all over my office taped up to everything. I'm talking to hundreds of people and reading thousands of papers and, and books and on and on and on, right? And it's not pleasant. And this is where emotional forage comes in so handy. So one of the things we've discovered in Flo's research is that a lot of really kind of fundamental feelings we are interpreting in the wrong way. So frustration on the way to learning. Learning is an invisible process, right? It doesn't, you, you don't know what you don't know and suddenly you get it, right? It all comes together. It's because everything has lots of different parts. If you want to learn to hit a baseball, you've got to learn to do a swing, keep your eye on the ball, et cetera, et cetera, read the pitcher, lots of things to do, right? So we, look, we learn them in different sequences, at different orders, at different rates, right? This is struggle. It's frustrating. It's awful. But that frustration, the more frustrated you're getting, it's actually a secret that you're moving in the right direction. So you have to learn to interpret frustration very, very differently than how you think about it normally in this situation. Then, if you want to take the next step forward, following struggle is release. So in flow, right, we're trading conscious processing for subconscious processing. So in struggle, we're thinking about things all the time, right? To move into release, to let the subconscious take over, we have to stop thinking about these things. We literally have to take our mind off the, off the problem. So what we've discovered is that what works best here is low-grade physical activity. So I like to work in my garden or go for long walks. Albert Einstein famously used to row a rowboat in the middle of Lake Geneva and stare at the clouds. It doesn't really matter. Exercise is great, but you don't want to exercise yourself into exhaustion. Just a little bit, not a ton. Um, is important, and the only thing you don't want to do is watch television because television will actually block the brainwaves you need for flow. So it's the only thing that can keep you out of the state um, totally. But release, what happens in release when we take our mind off the problem, kind of the body releases nitric oxide. It's a gaseous signaling molecule, and what this does is it flushes all the stress hormones out of your system, right? I talked about online today is how the state resets kind of the nervous system back to zero. This is what's going on. Nitrous oxide is flushing those chemicals, harmful chemicals out. It's flooding you with positive performance-enhancing neurochemicals, right? And this release kicks you into the third stage, which is the flow state itself, and we talked about that plenty. On the back end of the flow state, and this is really critical, there's a recovery period. Flow is very expensive, right? It takes a lot of energy to produce. So it's wild to replenish. There's neurochemicals. They burn out fairly quickly. You need certain vitamins, certain minerals, certain foods, sunshine, etc. It's a big, complicated recipe to get more of them. So there's a recovery stage on the back end of flow. And you go from feeling like Superman in flow to feeling like absolute crap in recovery. And you feel like absolute crap because, first of all, all of the brain's most potent feel-good drugs are no longer in your system, right? You've gone from very, very high to very, very, very low. It is very difficult to cope with emotionally. A lot of people have a really hard time here, and that's a problem too because if you have a really hard time with this, right, not enough emotional um, IQ to figure out what's going on, um, if you have a hard time with this, you start producing cortisol, flow amplifies learning. Studies run by the U.S. military found 200 to 500%. This is massive acceleration, which is critical in every walk of life, including business, right? But if you start producing cortisol in the recovery phase, you will block this long-term learning. You're blocked this massive amplification. So bad, first of all. Also, if you want to restart the flow straight, you've got to move from recovery back into struggle. And if you're having a hard time in recovery, you're never going to get up for this serious fight. That is, uh, that is the struggle stage, so you'll get locked there and you'll get stuck, 
right? And even that there's also an emotional side of it. Creatives need flow. It doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's coding software or, you know, painting paintings. Um, flow is fundamental to creative activity, massively amplifies creativity. Creatives also have the highest suicide rate in the world because they're getting into flow to do their job and they're dropping out of it and they don't know what's going on. And it feels terrible and they can get locked out of flow for a variety of reasons, right? So you really need to learn to kind of hold your mud there to emotional control is very, it's very, you just got to kind of ride it out. And, you know, it's like the hangover rule. You learn after you've been drunk a handful of times during your hangover, right? Your brain tells you all kinds of negative stuff. You're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, whatever. And you've been hungover a couple times. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm going to pay attention to that tomorrow. Today I'm going to watch football because I'm hungover, right? You let it go. Same thing really applies here. But it's a big unlocking move. More importantly is this kind of recovery phase we do a lot of work at the Flow Genome Project with sleep. We monitor sleep like crazy. If you're not getting eight hours of sleep a night, you cannot recover from flow. And it's a really big problem, right? In the business world, oftentimes, right, we do something great. You go out and you make a ton of money for your company, and the boss comes to you immediately afterwards and says, that's fantastic. You had a great quarter. You're one of our top performers. In fact, you're so good. Why don't you do it again? Only this time we're going to cut your territory in half because you're that good. Go. Right? And there's no time to recover where you come off a giant project, right? And you succeed, get into flow a lot, succeed, and then there's no time to recover and you can't jump restart at the next flow state. You can't jack your performance back up. There's no way you're gonna meet the new quota or the new innovation, et cetera, et cetera. So understanding where you are in the cycle is fundamental. You're gonna drive yourself all the way through it and then you know, kind of respecting the frustration on the front end and that recovery absolutely has to happen on the back. And we always teach people with flow, you've got to go slow to go fast, right? You have to recover. You have to take a couple days off before you can get access to more flow. But you don't have to worry about taking a couple days off because when you get access to more flow, it's going to jack performance and productivity up so much. Yeah. Wow. Stephen, that's amazing. So would you say that meditation would help with flow? Or at least for you to meditation. For yeah, so meditation is interesting, and um, we specifically prefer a, a mindfulness exercise that the that the Navy SEALs use called box breathing. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, yeah. It does a couple of more things. It, 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 it's easier meditation for anybody to learn, um, and because it, it keeps you really really busy, and it, it also kind of lowers fight or flight responses and amplifies situational awareness. So it allows you to get too much nor after too much fear in the system, you will knock yourself out of flow, and box breathing really is, is good for that. But yeah, anything that focuses attention, right? Flow is a focusing skill. First and foremost, it's training the brain to put all the attention to the present moment. This is exactly what meditation does. Now, there is you know, deep meditation, right, when you start getting really interesting effects. Those are actually a little bit, they're similar to flow. There's, there's a lot of symmetry in the system. But there are a couple of key differences. So there are differences between deep meditative states and flow states, um, but they're very, very similar. And meditation is phenomenal training for flow. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I practice uh, transcendental meditation, and I have found that it's really helped me with my creativity. And I think maybe that's because my you know, limbic system isn't taking over so much. I'm not so much in stress mode, and uh, I'm able to really relax and, and be creative. So one of the things we know about flow, right, and we, we know flow massively heightens creativity, and it, and it does this by, it amplifies, first of all, it, you're sent, in flow you take in more information per second, so you're getting more data, right? 
Creativity is always new information bumping into old thoughts. So you need pattern recognition in the middle, right? Linking ideas together. And even better is kind of lateral thinking, which is linking, you know, pattern recognition is sort of linking closely related ideas together. Lateral thinking is is kind of hugely disparate ideas together. Um, In flow, all of those processes are massively amplified. The neurochemistry jacks up lateral thinking, pattern recognition surrounds the creative process, right? And you were seeing more of it for this kind of exact reason, right? Your your meditation training is helping you focus. It's keeping you calm. You're exactly right. There's not too much norepinephrine, right? The anxiety chemical will block flow. So it won't allow you to go from, when you have too much fear, you have too much norepinephrine in the system to go from struggle into release. You can't let go of your thinking. If you actually, you look at what that condition looks like under a... Uh, uh, fMRI looks exactly like OCD. You can't literally, literally can't go, let go of the thought. You go in a loop, right? That's what fear does, right? It's why in fight or flight response, which is extreme fear, choices get reduced to three. You can fight, you can freeze, you can flee, right? Flow is the opposite. It's options wide open because there's less kind of uh, there's less fear in the system, so it kicks you over, and then it amplifies all aspects of the creative decision making process. Yeah, incredible, incredible. I'm going to get all over your flow course that you have online. How, how can we find that course online? Uh, if you go to the flowgenomeproject.com, so F-L-O-W, genome is G-E-N-O-M-E, project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T.com, uh, you'll find two things there. First of all, you can, you can under the training tab, you can sign up for Flow Fundamentals or, or any of our other, we do some in-person courses as well sometimes um, that are open to the public. And uh, there's also a free uh, flow diagnostic tool there. And it will, different people are susceptible to different triggers, meaning they find flow in different situations more frequently. So this is a diagnostic to tell you which area in your life you'll find the most flow. Interestingly, just, just to put this in context, uh, we've, about 7,000 people have taken uh, this diagnostic. And interestingly, even though flow is most frequently associated with athletic ability or artistic ability, we find that 48% of all the people who have taken this find the most flow kind of doing knowledge work, you know, being entrepreneurs, working in businesses, doing analysis, reading, all that kind of stuff, thinking. So, you know, the vast majority of people find flow most of the time doing exactly what your listeners do for a living. Yeah, wonderful. Look, if you're listening right now, get around it. Head over to Stephen Kotler's website there, head over to the uh, Flow Genome Project and check it out. All right, if you're serious about amplifying yourself and your business, definitely check it out. Beautiful, Stephen. Thank you so much, mate. I uh, had two more questions I want to wrap this up with. Um, one of them is, uh, what has been the most important lesson that you've learned from one of your mentors or uh, even one of your peers over the years? <laughs> For me, where is the mainstream? I don't tend to know, so I tend I, I I I am interested in every tangent. So I have to have people around me who kind of bring me back to the middle. So I you know if to put that in a lesson, you know I figure out what your weaknesses are and course correct for them. Yeah, no, that's great. That's that's absolutely great. And the last question is: If you were to deliver your last thirty-second speech to the world. What would that last 30 seconds sound like? So long and thanks for all the fish. 
the Douglas Adams joke. If you don't know his work, then that's not funny at all. It's what the dolphins say when they leave the planet Earth after the planet Earth is about to explode. So long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> that said, I, I have no, you know, I have no idea. Um, mostly, I think what I would say is thank you, in all honesty. I have sort of lived my life, you know, I, the one thing I know for sure is I get one shot at this life. So I've tried to make the most of it. And it, I've been incredibly, incredibly lucky. And I, you know, owe thousands and thousands and thousands of people enormous debts of gratitude along the way. So I think I would say thank you. Excellent. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. All the best with uh, your new book that's just launched, Tomorrowland. Make sure you get your hands on it. It's already out on Amazon. I'm about to purchase it right now. So definitely check that out. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. This was a lot of fun.